You're listening to Raising Curious Learners, a podcast from Britannica for Parents, where we talk to experts and discuss issues and trends in child development, education, and parenting. Welcome back to Raising Curious Learners. I'm Elizabeth Romanski, and my co-host, as always, is Anne Gatsikowski. So at Britannica for Parents, we have a very strong sense of responsibility for providing accurate information for our families. And you know, one of the reasons we're so picky about the truth is because we're part of Encyclopedia Britannica, and there's this incredible history of 250 plus years of publishing facts. And of course, another reason is that parents trust us. Us, and we have an ethical responsibility to families. Exactly. And recently on that same topic, families have been really interested in vaccines because of the rollout of the new COVID-19 vaccines, both in the U.S. and in other countries. There's a lot of new information and a lot of misinformation about vaccines these days. So we wanted to invite Sarah Brandt and John Gregory from NewsGuard to help us sort through what's true and what's not. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having us. So, you know, first, we really would like if you could tell our audience what NewsGuard is and what it is that you both do. Sure, happy to. So NewsGuard is a service that helps people avoid misinformation by giving them more context for the news sources that they're encountering online on Facebook, Twitter, Google, etc. So what we do is we have a team of journalists, trained veteran journalists who assess the reliability of thousands of news and information websites using basic apolitical journalistic criteria. So for each website that we evaluate, we assign it to an analyst. They spend hours or maybe days researching the website and reviewing a lot of its content. And then they assess that website using the nine criteria we use, which are basic questions like, has this source repeatedly published false content? Does this website have a corrections policy, etc.? And then based on how the website fares on those nine criteria, it receives an overall red rating indicating it's generally unreliable or an overall green rating indicating that it's a generally reliable source. And then to back up those ratings is what we call a nutrition label, which is a thoroughly reported review providing more context for who's behind the source and why it received the rating that it did. Uh, So you can think of what we do as similar to fact-checking, but unlike a fact-checker, our ratings are at the level of the source as a whole rather than an individual claim or an article. And we do it that way because it's more scalable. And we make these ratings and reviews available to users and consumers so that they can benefit from them and avoid misinformation in a few different ways. First off, we have a browser extension called NewsGuard. What it is, is it's a tool you can install on your browser whether it's Google Chrome, Firefox, Safari, etc. And when you have it installed, you'll see those red and green ratings show up in your social media feeds, show up in your search results. So when someone shares an article with you, you can quickly see whether it comes from a reliable source like Britannica, which receives a green rating from NewsGuard or an unreliable source. Sarah, can I ask you to explain what a browser extension is in case some of our listeners aren't familiar with those? Yeah, absolutely. So a browser extension, you can kind of think of it like an app for your desktop 
browser. So when you go on your computer and you want to go online, you open a window for Chrome or Firefox or Safari, whatever browser you use. And an extension is something you add to the browser to enhance its experience or your browsing experience. So you go into your browser's extension store and there are all these little add-ons. For example, a really popular one is a browser extension called Honey, which automatically checks for coupons, but also ad blockers are, are popular browser extensions. So that's what NewsGuard is. You know, that's amazing. And I actually am curious, and it sounds like this may be the case, but when you're talking about sources, you know, nowadays news is coming from sources that you might not have even thought would provide related topics. So do you stick with just the, you know, categorized news or journalistic articles, or is it even like entertainment or anything like that? Or do you, do you have just this wide breadth? Yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, when we started NewsGuard, we were really just focused on news sources in the traditional sense, but you're absolutely right that the lines have been blurred, especially online in terms of where people get news and information. So our standard for whether a website should be evaluated by us is first off, is it something that's getting a significant amount of engagement online? A lot of people are looking at it or sharing its content. Um, But second off, does it provide anything that's somewhat can be categorized as news. So even if it's not a traditional news organization, or if it's not publishing news articles in the traditional sense, is it providing some sort of information that people are relying on? So a good example of that is, you know, we rate a lot of health information websites. For example, we rate the websites of some health systems or hospital systems. If it's the case that those hospital systems are providing uh, health information and updates about COVID vaccines, et cetera. So it sounds like you're covering all kinds of topics and the vaccine topic is just one of them. I think we're especially interested in vaccines right now, especially parents and families with young children because of everything we're hearing in the news about the new COVID vaccine. Could you give us an example of one of the myths about the vaccines that you've been tracking? Sure. One of the broader myths that's been spreading since very early in the process of developing COVID-19 vaccines is the false claim that these vaccines could change your DNA. So the first two COVID vaccines that have been given emergency authorization in the U.S. are what are called messenger RNA vaccines. And mRNA carries instructions from the DNA in your cells to make proteins. So the idea is these vaccines will tell cells in your body to make a critical protein in the COVID-19 virus and then trigger the immune system to create antibodies against it if you were infected. Um, That's the same mechanism that works in other vaccines, but without the typical and slower approach of needing the weakened or inactivated version of the virus in order to create that, that response. But it can't change your DNA. It's not genetic modification. In fact, I've heard this compared to something like Snapchat, where the, the mRNA delivers that message to your cells And then once it's done, it disappears rather quickly after it's given your body those instructions. It doesn't linger permanently in your body and do something as extreme as alter your DNA. So myths like this sprung up, I think, in this case, I thought it sprung up because misinformation sites were filling a void. mRNA vaccines and medicines have been studied for decades, but they've never until now been approved for widespread use. And people are really unlikely to know how they work offhand. I didn't, to be 
before we started hearing about these in development. And so these sources can exploit that knowledge gap. They can stir up fear with a false claim, like it'll change your DNA, it's genetic modification, because the opportunity is there. They're filling a void, and when these sites fill, see those kind of voids, they're very opportunistic. They tend to pounce, and there's always that gap between someone making a false claim and someone offering accurate information to debunk that claim. As you would expect, finding that accurate info, whether it's through reporting, talking to experts, real scientific study, that all takes a lot more time. And one of the reasons I think NewsGuard's approach to this works is because these sources who are spreading claims like that, we would have already rated them red in most cases as unreliable because they spread other false health claims. It's very common for us to see the same sites that are saying the COVID vaccines will change your DNA. They've been claiming for years that vaccines cause autism, other false health claims like that. So new technologies, uh, new methods of creating vaccines, that's an opportunity for misinformation to spread. It makes me curious, though, I'm wondering as I listen to you talk, what what is the motivation? Do, do the people who are spreading misinformation know they're spreading misinformation? What What is the intent? It can vary from site to site. I can't discount the idea that some of these sites are, are real true believers. They think they're doing some valuable work in, in calling out these sort of things. They think there's a real conspiracy there. In other cases, it's as simple as they want clicks. They make their money off traffic, programmatic advertising, things like that. Sometimes it's a more direct monetary transaction. They're selling a product. They might have articles that promote certain supplements under the guise of it being news coverage. And then there just so happens to be a link to their store or a store that doesn't seem affiliated with the site, but in fact has the same owner, and they can make money that way. And then sometimes the misinformation itself is the product. They might have some exclusive content, some subscriber newsletter that you have to pay a monthly fee for, and you're kind of attracted by being let in on the secret. Like if you pay, you know, at me 10, 15, 20 bucks a month, I'll tell you what's really going on in the world. In the time that you have worked with NewsGuard, I can only imagine that that the amount of misinformation that you have to sift through, vaccine-related or not, has just skyrocketed. And so I'm just curious, like it's just such a minefield of trying to figure out, you know, what is accurate, what's not, and and also make sure that consumers fully understand what they're reading. So I'm just curious, like if you can give some background and like what have you seen or when have you started to see so much misinformation flood? Because it's always been there, but I do feel like it's something that has become much more prevalent. I would say on the on the health side, it springs up when there's that that big opportunity. When something is in the news, there's a knowledge gap, a void that they can fill. Before the pandemic, one of the ways we saw that being filled is when there were measles outbreaks in the early part of 2019. And that allowed sites that had previously promoted false claims about vaccines to kind of put a new spin on it. I mean, even in their world, if they were just saying that, oh, vaccines cause autism, well, that they were saying that 10 years ago. They need something new to keep readers coming back. And this allowed them a new a new way, a new avenue, a new opportunity to spread those, those same sort of agendas. And then certainly during the pandemic, it's been the worst I've ever seen in the, in the few years we've been doing this. And I'm sure the worst any of us have seen in, in our lifetime in terms of people exploiting that uncertainty in this 
unprecedented disruption to all our lives. It's it's understandable why that would present such an amazing opportunity for misinformation to spread. You really had a perfect storm this year for misinformation. You had a global pandemic, as John points out, where there was a data void. It's a new disease that we don't know a lot about and we're learning as we go along. And so it's very easy for manipulators to exploit that and spread misinformation. But then you also had a major election cycle where there was a lot of misinformation spread you know, from both sides of the aisle. And you know, we see in the past week, there's been a, a bit of misinformation about what happened at the Capitol. And so it's really just politics and health are colliding this year to create a storm of misinformation and disinformation. So let's, let's look specifically at some of the issues and topics that parents of young children might be especially interested in. There are several vaccine myths that are really relevant to families. And there's one, for example, that you list on your site, a myth that there is a law in Colorado that will force parents into a government-run re-education program if they refuse to give their children a COVID-19 vaccine. Can you tell us about where this myth came from and what families need to know about the truth? So this myth started circulating in June on misinformation sites we previously knew about, as well as social media posts. And the source was a gross misrepresentation of a real Colorado law that dealt with vaccine exemptions. Colorado had the lowest vaccination rate for kindergartners in 2019. Their measles vaccination rate was somewhere around 91%. And like many other states, it was allowed for parents to opt out of public school vaccination requirements with what is called a personal belief exemption. All a parent or student would have to do is go to the school, give them a statement to obtain that exemption. So in an effort to boost vaccination rates, Colorado legislators had been proposing this sort of change in a pass into law this year that slightly altered that personal belief exemption requirement. So parents can still obtain that exemption, but they now need either a signed form from their healthcare provider, something separate from a medical exemption, or they have to complete with a state called an online education module. And it's essentially a slideshow with information about the safety of vaccines. And if they complete that, they can then claim the exemption. That slideshow is what's being construed as a, quote, government-run re-education program. I've even seen it compared to very nefarious re-education camps, even though it's all done online and it can be completed rather quickly. And most notably, the law didn't mention the COVID-19 vaccine at all. At the time it passed during the summer, there were no vaccines available. And even now, the Pfizer, the Moderna vaccines haven't been authorized for use in children. They're beginning clinical trials for kids under 16 now, but they haven't been approved for use in children. And so this would just be kind of a moot point. There's nothing There's nothing here that mentions COVID vaccines. And it's just this very grand exaggeration of an online slideshow into government-run re-education programs. And I should note that Colorado actually didn't go as far as some other states have gone in these sort of laws. California, for instance, they don't have personal belief or religious exemptions from public school vaccine requirements anymore because of how low their vaccination rates got in their efforts to drive them back up. Well, it's interesting how this myth was based on something that was actually true, that there is this little module online that parents were asked to do, and then it became exaggerated. It reminds me a little bit of the children's game of telephone, you know, where you pass along a message from one person to the next, and by the time you get to the, to the end of the line, it's completely changed. Do you, do you 
you see that happening? All the time, especially when it comes to health claims. You know, these sites will not only exploit knowledge gaps like I talked about earlier, but they will throw a lot of jargon at readers that just doesn't reflect what are what are in medical studies that they're citing. And they're banking on the fact that those are not written for you know the average person to understand. And they can very easily misrepresent something like that and just bank on people not digging down into the original source. It happens quite often. We spoke a little bit at the beginning of this podcast about how NewsGuard helps consumers, specifically with regards to the, the green check, notifying whether it is from a reliable source or not. Can you speak more to how you help users or what, what you guys do in your role to make sure that misinformation is kind of stamped out and parents and users in general are able to really trust what they're reading? Yeah, happy to. So as I mentioned, the, the browser extension that we offer, we offer two different ones, the NewsGuard browser extension, and then we have one specifically called HealthGuard, which is pretty much identical to NewsGuard, but it's just focused on health information sources and our ratings of those websites. You know, that's the easiest way for someone to engage with our ratings and, and benefit from them in their social media feeds and such. So that's one way we are trying to help stop the spread of vaccine misinformation. But we also recognize that a browser extension is something that people need to opt into. And what makes what we do really effective is when technology platforms integrate our ratings directly into their platforms, into their feeds, uh, so that someone can see our ratings without needing to choose to install a browser extension. So for example, we work with Microsoft and other technology companies that directly integrate our ratings in, in different ways. For example, if you use the Microsoft Mobile Edge browser, you'll see NewsGuard's ratings when you do a search for a news website. But apart from our browser extension and those tools, we also are supplementing that work with special reporting that we produce to help journalists and policymakers and just scientists and, and just regular consumers better understand the scope of the misinformation we're seeing and where it's coming from and how it's spreading. So we have published numerous special reports throughout the course of the pandemic that highlight different aspects of the, the misinformation campaigns. For example, we have a, a section on our website called our COVID-19 Misinformation Tracking Center, where we are constantly updating that with all of the websites that we've found to publish some sort of false claim about COVID-19 or the vaccines. We have on our website a running list of the major myths that we're encountering related to the COVID-19 vaccines. And we've also done uh, some special reporting that we call our super spreaders reporting, where we look on Facebook and Twitter at the Facebook pages or the Twitter accounts that have a large number of followers. And then we look at which of those accounts are spreading information from some of our red rated websites or some of those false claims about COVID-19 and are amplifying those false claims to large audiences without being checked by Facebook or Twitter. I'm just curious, are some of those super spreading sites outside of the United States? Yes. So some of the websites are you know, abroad. We operate in the US, we operate in the UK, France, Germany, and Italy as well. When I say we operate in those countries, it means we've rated the news and information websites that are highly engaged in those countries. So we see much of the same things happening in the U.S., happening in, in Europe. So in terms of um, misinformation about the pandemic, but also political misinformation, even when it's just dealing with U.S. politics, we see political misinformation about Donald Trump, about QAnon spreading across the pond and being picked up by misinformation sources abroad. Yeah, because you bring up a good point, and I'm glad that you acknowledge that you work in other countries because the inter 
interconnectivity of the world is at such a height right now. And so, you know, new sharing is important. It's important to understand what's going around in other parts of the world. But the other part of that means that you do have to be a little bit more careful. You both have so much expertise and understanding how to comb through all of the news sources and understand. So I'm curious, you know, for parents, and and I'm thinking more specifically with the health side of it, but how can you encourage parents to make sure that what they're reading is trustworthy and they are understanding what is really going on. I think the most important thing is always to question the source. It's really easy when you're on Facebook or Google to be misled because everything looks the same on Facebook, whether it's an article from the CDC or an article from a total quack doctor that's spreading lies about vaccines. It all looks the same. And so the practice of taking a few seconds to look at the source and question whether it's a source you're familiar with, and if not, whether it's a source that's reliable is immensely helpful. Um, And I think it can be easy to overlook that on Facebook when we're scrolling so quickly or on Google or Bing when we just click on whatever appears at the top of the search results. But we might not know that that's a reliable source or not. So just always remembering and and reminding yourself to consider the source. You know, what we do at NewsGuard can help, but also just doing some independent research, looking at Wikipedia and and other sources to determine whether it's a, a trusted source. And there are usually some warning signs of these bad sites when you're on them. So parents should be on the lookout for or anything on the health side that uses very emotional language, even something as simple as you know, like some words in all caps is usually a red flag. And then if they're burying you in jargon, if you're reading it and you're really not getting what the article is trying to tell you, or they're coming up with conclusions that seem too good to be true, they probably are. And it could be that the site is deliberately trying to confuse a parent into seeming credible, kind of lending themselves an air of credibility by frankly confusing the reader. And also another red flag is, does it seem like they're trying to sell you something? Is the article about some supplement that, oh, mysteriously, there's a link to it on the side of the page, or there's a store that sells that very product? That's a major red flag the parents should be on the lookout for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think John made a really good point earlier when we were talking about this idea of the spread of misinformation being like a game of telephone. A lot of these health misinformation websites really exploit the fact that if we read an article and it says, oh, a study conducted by scientists made this conclusion. It can sound really credible at first glance, but what is that study? Who's conducting it? Is the study being misrepresented? So just remember to not be fooled by the fact that an article claims that some research or evidence exists to back whatever they're stating. I think it's also important to reiterate, you know, a lot of times when you think about the health industry, you almost accept the fact that there's going to be jargon. However, the idea for parents and content written for parents is for you to actually understand what's going on so that you can apply it to your own individual family. So I think the message there is to not accept that when you're reading something that's supposed to be targeted for you, because the ultimate goal is what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my child and our family? And so if you're not understanding it, then there's clearly something wrong there. So I think that's a crucial piece that you said there. So I appreciate that, John. We're going to take a quick break. So stay with us and we'll be right back. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Hi, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Britannica Premium. With the world and the news around us changing by the second, reliable information is more important than ever. Consider supporting our quest for the truth with a Britannica Premium membership and gain access to over 1 million pages of fact-checked content, digitized collections of our first edition, and more. Go to Britannica.com premium30 to get 30% off your subscription today. Hi, everyone. Did you know that Britannica designed a safe and trusted site that allows kids to be kids? On Britannica Kids, you'll find exciting educational content for all age groups. Go to kids.britannica.com kids30 to get 30% off your subscription today. So let's look at another example of a vaccine myth that parents might be hearing about or reading about. In fact, there are a couple of myths listed on your site related to the vaccine possibly causing infertility. Can you speak to those myths and and what you've learned about them? Sure. So one of the claims that's specific to infertility claims that the COVID-19 vaccine has been proven to cause infertility in 97% of its recipients. And this is an example even worse than the one I mentioned earlier of just grossly misrepresenting the evidence to back a false claim. The sites that have promoted this claim will cite a 1989 study that looked into how vaccines could target fertility hormones that could affect cancer growth. And not only was that study published in 1989, so obviously had nothing to do with COVID, had nothing to do with coronaviruses, it also was on female baboons. So didn't even involve humans and yet got construed to, you know, it's proven to cause infertility in a vaccine that was developed 30 years after the study was published. Mm -hmm. The second example is the claim that the head of research at Pfizer said the company's COVID-19 vaccine contains a protein called Syncytin-1 that is crucial to the development of the placenta during pregnancy, and that because of this, the vaccine will cause infertility. And this is an example of what I call a false authority. Someone reads this and thinks, wow, someone from the actual vaccine manufacturer says this is unsafe. They wouldn't know that the man called the head of research at Pfizer, Michael Yeadon, I'm sorry if I mispronounced his name, but he hasn't actually worked at Pfizer for years. He had nothing to do with their COVID vaccine. Not only is his claim exaggerated, but it doesn't hold up to scrutiny. What it's based on is that Yeadon sent a petition to the European Medicines Agency and he speculated the vaccine may create an immune response against this syncytin 1 protein and therefore affect female fertility. He didn't state definitively that it contained the protein, and in fact, the vaccine doesn't. The part of the COVID-19 virus being targeted by Pfizer's vaccine, it's not close to being similar enough for the body to make a mistake and produce an immune response against the protein that could potentially cause infertility. So it's not only a false authority, it's not only exaggerating and misleading, it's just even the speculation that was included in the original claim is unfounded and untrue. Wow. So what do you think will happen as more people get the vaccine? Do you think we'll see more myths or maybe fewer myths because people will have direct experience? Yeah, I mean, history shows we anticipate the myths about the vaccines to continue to grow at an exponential rate. You know, right now, the vaccines, there are only two that are approved in the U.S. and being used, but there are other candidates out there. So you have more vaccines being approved. There are just more opportunities for uh, misinformation peddlers to create some lies about each 
distinct vaccine candidate, but also once you're vaccinating millions of people, which thus far we've only vaccinated a handful of millions of people, but once you're on the scale of tens and hundreds of millions of people, it'll be easier for uh, misinformation spreaders to falsely attribute independent you know, health issues to the vaccine. So the old saying that correlation is not causation is something that's frequently exploited by misinformation peddlers um, about vaccines. Someone just happens to die of a heart attack a few days after the vaccine. That is totally unrelated to the vaccine, but you'll see someone claiming that, oh, the vaccine can kill you. And Another thing that we are looking out for and that we've heard some concern about is the fact that the second dose of the Pfizer vaccine has been found to cause people to experience more side effects than the, the first dose. And that's you know completely normal. And that indicates that the vaccine is working well. But because thus far, most people have only received the first dose, you know, we're worried that once people start having those you know normal reactions to the second dose, that's another opportunity for people to claim the vaccines are dangerous or harmful in some way. There's also the potential for the vaccines being a victim of their own success if we really see some the results that we're all hoping for that this allows some pandemic restrictions to be eased in the same way that after a few weeks of lockdown stay-at-home orders there started to be a much greater narrative that the pandemic wasn't as big of a deal as government officials were saying i could see that repeating itself if there's not enough for these misinformation sites to go on in terms of exploiting what Sarah talked about, these unrelated health events and tying them to the vaccine, they could make the argument, kind of turn the vaccine against the people promoting it and saying, you know, this just shows that the pandemic was no big deal all along. I think parents with young children are in some ways especially vulnerable to misinformation because we have these little vulnerable people that we're taking care of and we want to keep them safe and make the very best decisions for them. And I'm wondering if you've mentioned this a couple times in other ways when you talked about measles and, and the um, suggestion that a vaccine could cause autism. These are things that were circulating even before COVID. So I'm wondering how how you see these, these current myths kind of fitting into the bigger picture of vaccine misinformation. It, it, it almost comes, comes to being like a misinformation Mad Libs. They just insert the new... <laughs> the new event, the new thing into their existing playbook. They're just kind of using the same strategies they've used in the past. In fact, we've found, and this is another way that I think supports NewsGuard's approach at rating at the source level, that a lot of these sources, if you dug back to how they reported on swine flu or the Ebola outbreaks in 2014 and 2015, you would have seen very similar fear-mongering and misinformation around those. So they're really just rolling out the same playbook over and over again. What I think made it more successful this time in terms of getting engagement is just, you know, the the unprecedented uncertainty we've all had to deal with. It created enormous opportunity for these misinformation actors to find a little more receptive audience to these sort of claims. Yeah, and I, I just want to add to, you know, what Anne said earlier about parents are typically the targets of anti-vaccine narratives because they rightly have concerns about the health of their of their children. I just want to make the point that, you know, it's it's okay to have questions or concerns about the vaccines and about the COVID vaccines, and that's normal. And it's a, it's a new vaccine, so of course people have questions, but it's of the utmost importance that you're seeking out answers to those questions and you're seeking out answers from reliable sources and you're not allowing one article you read online to completely turn you off from the vaccines, but you're being thoughtful and, and ensuring 
ensuring that you're getting the most verified and accurate information about the vaccines. That's a really good point. Thank you. You know, as we get close to wrapping up our conversation, I just want to ask the two of you, Sarah and John, this work is so important. Do you have a sense of purpose? Do you have a sense of urgency in the work that you're doing? How, how does it feel to, to be doing this work? Uh, I, lo- I like that question a lot. I, I haven't received it before. Absolutely. I am incredibly happy working here. John and I have been with NewsGuard since nearly the beginning of the company, and it's been you know amazing to see the impact we've had and in just our short few years of existence and it's motivating every day. There's always a new disinformation threat and to know that we can make an impact on that feels really great. I would echo what Sarah said. I mean, when we first came aboard NewsGuard, I don't think the company anticipated that they were really more looking towards the political misinformation, this kind of stuff that sprang out of 2016. And as we dug deeper, we saw that health misinformation is just as prevalent, if not more prevalent and obviously a very direct danger to people if it even puts them off seeking treatment for diseases because they think some natural or home remedy would work. So kind of feels like my entire journalism career was leading up to covering this pandemic. And I think that gives us a very strong sense of purpose and mission about addressing these myths. You know, we still need to be responsible journalists and prove what we're saying, prove that these things are false and be careful not to not to overstep our bounds despite the mission that we do have and report responsibly, which we all do. But yeah, it's it's something I, I, I'm incredibly proud of the work that myself, Sarah, and everyone at NewsGuard has done over the past year. And we're very grateful to you for being on our podcast today and glad to spread the word about accurate, factual information to the families that listen to our podcast. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Raising Curious Learners. Special thanks to our guests today, Sarah Brandt and John Gregory, for teaching us about digital misinformation and helping us to dispel some of the rumors surrounding the COVID-19 vaccines. In light of the unfounded anti-vaccination media that's been released in recent months, NewsGuard has decided to make the HealthGuard browser extension free starting January 25th until the end of June in order to empower people to make informed decisions surrounding their health and treatment without falling prey to false facts. I'm Elizabeth Romanski, and my co-host is Ann Gatzkowski. Our audio engineer and editor for this program is Emily Goldstein. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and share with your friends. This episode is copyrighted by Encyclopedia Britannica Incorporated, all rights reserved. Hey everyone, this episode is brought to you by Britannica for Parents, a free site with expert advice for your tech-savvy family needs. Whether it's explaining Zoom to your three-year-old, navigating your child's new friendship with Siri, or more serious topics like talking to young children about the police or sending your kids back to school during the COVID-19 pandemic, we're here to help with resources for parents of all age groups. Check us out at parents.britannica.com.